Hello and welcome to Swana Region Radio, a weekly review of politics and culture from Kolkata to Casablanca here on KPFK. The music you just heard was Nam Parpomi, the Tamil rendition of Faiz Ahmed Faiz's Hamde Kenge, which translates to We Will See. This rendition is sung by Anjana and translated by Ponni and Mangai, and has been played at the people-led protests currently taking place in Sri Lanka. My name is Saraya Zaruk, and I am a member of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or SWANA Collective, that brings you your weekly half-hour of SWANA Region Radio. My co-host today is David Lloyd, also a member of the Collective. Welcome, David. Thanks, Saraya. It's great to be back on the show with you. And uh, let me begin our show today by reminding listeners that May is Tamil Genocide Month in Sri Lanka, commemorating the many Tamils killed in the vicious government repression of the Tamil Tiger uprising. However, current events in Sri Lanka have probably obscured that fact. In recent months, people have gathered to protest across Sri Lanka as the country faces its worst economic crisis in post-independence history. Food shortages have been aggravated by the government's abrupt ban on chemical fertilizers, which left farmers unprepared and decimated crop yields. A foreign exchange crisis has left the government unable to pay for essential imports, including fuel and medicines, resulting in sky-high inflation, rolling power outages, and soaring fuel costs, and also, as I think we'll talk about a little later in the show, a crisis for hospitals and, and healthcare. Protests in Colombo have been met with severe police and military violence, a government tactic that had been consistently used against Tamil communities in the northeast of the country, and which has led to numerous deaths and injuries. Government supporters have also attacked peaceful opposition protesters, and several intermittent curfews have been imposed by the police in Colombo. But these protests have also led to the resignation of the Prime Minister, Mahinda Rajapaksha, whose family has long occupied many of the main political appointments. And he has been replaced by former prime minister and opposition leader, Ranil Wickremesinghe. But Mahinda's brother, Gotaboya Rajapaksa, continues to cling to power as president. While all these political maneuverings proceed, no improvement in Sri Lanka's dire economic situation seems to be on the horizon, and international bodies like the IMF fear that its crisis may merely be the first domino to fall in a global series of collapses. What does this crisis portend for Sri Lanka, and how are its ordinary citizens seeking to make the political changes that will be necessary to end the corruption and the authoritarian majoritarian rule that has subjected the country to the civil war in which so many Tamils died, as well as creating the economic instability that the country has suffered from over decades? To discuss these issues today, we are joined by Minoli Wijetunga, project manager of Watchdog Sri Lanka, a multidisciplinary team of fact-checkers, journalists, researchers, and software engineers who hunt hoaxes and misinformation, investigate matters of public welfare, and build software tools that help other similar collectives. Minoli is an academic affiliated with the University of Colombo and the University of Oxford. She's the former editor of Ground Views, a publication by the Center for Policy Alternatives. Minoli, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah and David. Glad to be here. Minoli, can we start by just giving us a picture of where you are located in Sri Lanka? How are the power cuts and fuel shortages affecting you? And how are they impacting daily wage workers in your neighborhood? 
So as a group, as an organization, all of us are based in Sri Lanka, but across different locations, we do not have a physical office. We work from home, work from wherever, and then we meet, we try to meet once a week to have an in-person meeting. So it's basically our structure. Because we are all from different places, this also means when there are power cuts, some of us have power, some of us don't. It's difficult to find a point of time where all of us have power, all of us are able Now, as an organization, we're extremely privileged in that we can afford to get power banks. We can afford to get laptops for our team members that can actually work for a couple of hours. So operations are disrupted at a minimal level. Having said that, where even if your router, broadband router has a UPS in terms of our work, the, um, the, our carriers, mobile carriers, um, Satellite towers go down after a couple of hours of power cuts because their generators fail. They run out, which means we go off the grid. Different members go off the grid at different points. So it's been an exercise in coordinating and teamwork for us to get our work done. But in the grand scheme of things, considering what the average Sri Lankan is going through at the moment. These are inconveniences that we can, like, you know, we absolutely can live through regarding like, because you asked about daily wage earners, it's extremely difficult because it's not just the power cuts because it's also the fuel crisis. I mean, the power cuts are the result of a fuel crisis. So if you talk to your average taxi driver, they would tell you that either they'll have to stay in queue to try and get some fuel or they'll have, they can do their hires for the day. They can't do both. It's not possible. So we're basically at a point where you have to choose between two basic necessities as an average person trying to live in the country. And so Manoli, what's currently happening with the protests in Colombo? There was that attack by the government supporters. And uh, have, have the protests simply died out after that? Are people feeling afraid or? Not at all. On the contrary, so right immediately after the attack on Godagogama, we saw like a huge influx of people. And immediately after these involved people who were just working in the vicinity from hospitals to banks to, you know, like your average mechanic, everyone just gathering at that site because our people, their people were being attacked and everyone was there to support. So Godagogama is still going strong. It was going strong through curfews, through attempts at different types of oppression. It's going quite strong. And there are still pocket protests happening across different areas of the country. So if at all, I would say the 9th of May attack was more a stimulant rather than an oppression factor in terms of the outcome. That's really good to hear. Yeah, this is a real popular uprising, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you a bit about Watchdog. Um, so the collective and the app came about after the Easter Day bombings in Sri Lanka in 2019. Can you say what was it about the immediate aftermath of those bombings that mobilized you all to form the collective? So in 2019, when Watchdog was created, was born, it was out of necessity because there was a lot of misinformation flying around. And we've experienced um, the harmful effects of misinformation campaigns, especially around like targeted, targeting my ethnic minorities before. So immediately after these Sunday attacks, it was news from don't drink the water because that's been poisoned to, oh, it's X group of people who are attacking Y group of people. And there was just a lot of misinformation going around. And the government was not only not trying to stop it, but they were 
playing almost an active role in the spread of it. So there was a need for an organization or essentially anyone to step in and do a bit of fact checking, verify the information that's been going, that's going around. And that's essentially how Watchdog was born. It started as a fact checking organization, although we've evolved a bit um, now. How exactly does an app countering misinformation fact checking work? I mean, I, I see totally the importance of doing it, given that everywhere we're seeing this rise of fake news and, and false information and rumor mongering and, and so forth. How are people expected to use it? And what, what is the kind of work that you do as a collective to generate the corrections and the information that you post so well on your website? So our main modes of dissemination is social media, because that's also where a lot of this information starts and spreads. So yes, Facebook, YouTube, they're popular, but what's been on the rise now are WhatsApp groups and what we call like auntie groups. You have, you know, your family groups where, oh, forwarded many times because my uncles, neighbors, sons, sister-in-laws, colleagues said X and therefore it's, you know, verified information. This is a reliable source. So what we usually do is when we get rumors like that, often our readers also send us information saying, hey, I've seen this going around. Could you please fact check this for us? And we also actively seek things out. And when we find a rumor, then we try to verify whether it's true or not. So we have a list of verified sources, organizations, people that we go to. In certain instances, we call up relevant authorities directly. So, for example, we would call up hospitals to find out whether, you know, X person who was reported dead has actually passed or not and things like that. And then we need a minimum of three um, reliable sources for us to put something out. And then we push it out through our social media channels and all that. And it's also really interesting how things have evolved because we recently found out um, we didn't know this was happening, that mainstream media, like one of the like bigger channels in Sri Lanka, was actually citing us as a source for a fact check that we did. And we didn't even know this was happening. This was around a donation fund drive that was happening. And we fact checked it, couldn't find that to be a verified source. So we advised caution when some people are donating to that. And that ended up on news and we didn't even know that was happening. But that was a really interesting cross crossing over for us, though, because we usually end up fact-checking mainstream media and what they're saying. And now it's almost as if we're at a point where the mainstream media is citing a fact-checking organization on how, how people should behave. That's really tremendous because you know, we, we've covered very similar uses of social media to really disseminate effectively racist, certainly Hindu nationalist rumors in India. And, and of course, Maria Ressa in the Philippines has been tracking the ways in which major analytic corporations like Cambridge Analytics use the Philippines as a kind of laboratory for this kind of political manipulation. So I'm wondering, how do you go up against that kind of highly funded corporate engagement with malicious distortion of facts, dissemination of, of conspiracy theories and so forth. How does a small organization like yours actually succeed in, in breaking through? I think right now we have the advantage of working in a small country. Sri Lanka's population is 22 million and we operate in local languages, which is something that most of the larger corporations do not have expertise in. So in terms of local languages and like getting our word out there, we are more on par in terms of that. But 
if we step outside the local languages, though, then absolutely it is a massive challenge. But at the same time, you could do nothing. You could try to do something and see, push as far as you can and see where it takes you. So it's a matter of like, you know, do you just sit and wait or see what you can do within with the tools that you have? And Minoli, what does it mean to be an open source research collective? So for us, it means that we are extremely transparent with our data sources. So if we do a particular story, if we cover a particular angle, we provide our readers with all the data and everything that we have used for it. So while we do present our opinion and make an argument out of it, it's also here's the data you have. Go have a look and form an opinion of your own as well if you want to. So for us, and we do not put anything behind a paywall because open access is important to all of us, especially coming from where we come from. Um, like, you know, access to knowledge is the first thing that you do need if you are trying to solve a problem or get people out of something. So for us, it largely um, means that we make everything open access. We make everything as simple as possible for someone to understand without losing the nuances, but presenting it in a way that our readers are able to form their own opinions because we give you all the tools that we have had. So here they are. Now you figure out what you think you this all means. So one of Watchdog's recent creations is a protest tracker, um, and I've used it. It's really visually stunning in kind of encapsulating how the protests grew. Can I ask how that works? I mean, it says protest heat map when you go to the link. What is a heat map? It looks like it's gathering data from photos posted on social media to say that there was a protest at a bus stand in this kind of little obscure town. Um, So is it crowdfunded in a way? It is uh, crowdsourced. So what happened was when after the Mirihana attack, which happened towards the end of March, so on the 1st of April, when people started protesting at different pockets, we thought, oh, we need to keep track of this. But we're also a really tiny team. At that point, we were 10, now we're 12 people. And this includes everyone, like different languages, translates it, translators, everyone. So, and considering the size of the protest and how fast it was spreading, we needed to crowdsource it. And also, we do believe in the power of the people in that sense as well. You, If you have so many eyes, why not use it? So that's where we just created a very simple um Excel sheet, like a Google sheet so that people can just add entries. But once it started growing, we realized that people could tamper with it, you know, and then we will like lose credibility in terms of data. So then we switched it to where people can commit, not really directly enter um, information. And then we go through it. We verify it with like what's happening or not. But a lot of the sources that we give images, footage, all that up is just like what people have posted or like some news agency has like taken a shot off and posted. And then we, the heat map is a visualization of it. So in the protest tracker, we, in addition to identifying the exact location of the protests, we also identified, we also tag it as whether it's a small protest, a medium one or a large one. So a small one is basically less than 50 people, you know, like on the top of the road, the neighbors get together and hold a vigil, think something like that. Then medium would be 50 to 500 people. And then large protests are over 500 people. So the heat map is a way to see how this has spread over time, because you can look at it on a particular day or through a range of dates. So essentially, that's how the protest tracker works. That's amazing. So 
In passing, you mentioned that, that you hear from people who ask you to check something out and so forth. But, but tell us a bit more about the kinds of responses you're getting from people who are on the ground and who use or, or who come across this app. How, how are they using it? How is it helpful to them? And also on the other side, is there any danger um, in an app that's actually letting everybody, including the government, know where people are gathering? Is that is that a liability in a sense? So right now, the protest tracker is more a website. It's not an entire app on its own. Um, but apart from that, yeah. So it is, I would say in terms of feedback from the ground, it's been heartening because you can see how a movement happens. You can see how something spreads. And it helps when you are on the ground and you're in that space, you don't see the impact that you're making, that you're part of a larger thing. So visually being able to see that is encouraging for a person um, in terms of the danger considering well, there are two sides to it one is considering we are drawing from public information things that are people have already posted on facebook or twitter or like instagram it is already publicly available and would probably under surveillance if there's so if there are is that if there is surveillance it would be under surveillance but at the same time because we're very conscious of it we do not update our protest tracker um live it's not um so we ah, update it okay. maybe after like you know two to three days after it happens so you know just to make sure that there is enough of a break and we basically said that this is this is not a live update this is not a, oh hey where's the protest happening today where should i go to it's more of a this happened two days ago so you're keeping the history. <laughs> let me let me just yep. for, quickly for a moment uh, remind our listeners. You are listening to Swana Region Radio on independent and listener-sponsored KPFK. I'm David Lloyd with my co-host today, Soraya Zarouk. Today, uh, Swana Region Radio is joined by our guest, Manoli Wijetunga, the project manager of Open Source Research Collective in Sri Lanka, Watchdog to discuss the economic and political crisis in Sri Lanka. And of course, we will link Watchdog's website uh, to all our social media after this show. So while we're on the topic of these protests, I've heard in mainstream media this narrative that um, the Gotha Go Home protests are the longest peaceful protests in Sri Lanka. And I just want our listeners to know that that is entirely false. Um, so in February of this year, Tamil families in the northeast of Sri Lanka reached five years of continuous protest, um, demanding knowledge of their loved ones who were forcibly disappeared um, and killed by the Sri Lankan government. And we are today recording this show on May 18th, um, which is Mulevite Call Remembrance Day, when Tamil people commemorate the hundreds of thousands of civilians that were killed by the Sri Lankan state um, in the final stages of the war in May 2019. So I just want to kind of acknowledge the different forms of resistance that exist to the Sri Lankan state and the way that um, our focus on the protests in Colombo does participate in a kind of erasure of Tamil resistance in the Northeast and elsewhere. Absolutely. And like another, almost a criticism that emerges, especially on social media, is if you look at a protest tracker, you would see that there's a lot happening in like the Western province, the Southern province, and then there's very few in the North and the East. And while we are very upfront about the fact that we are tracking things that started on the 1st of April or after that, um, there's this idea that, oh, nothing's happening in the North or the East, which is absolutely untrue. In fact, even in the midst of all of this, like um, especially university students from Jaffna and Eastern universities have been leading protests. 
and that is at a far far greater risk to themselves and their families than what you know like us in the south or the western province have been doing so there is an erasure happening in more than one way in terms of people themselves being ignorant about things that have been happening for decades so that's also something i just i do want to mention because a lot of people um have this idea that nothing's happening in the north and the east whereas they've been protesting and seeing these things for far longer than any of us here in the south have yeah and i think the stakes of the protests are quite different to um you know sort of the narrative in other parts of the country like the northeast is you know they've been used to not having fuel not having food not having medicine to being surveilled and and being under curfew and so i think the stakes are really different too and that's something to kind of keep an eye out for when we're thinking about what's exactly. happening exactly especially now um when the sdf and those unmarked um officers were interrupted some protests and stuff then people like single buddhist majority and i say this as a single buddhist then started talking about oh imagine what must have happened in the north and the east then because if they're doing this where there are so many cameras what would have happened in places where nothing was allowed i mean that's what like nearly 30 years too late for that realization but hopefully it's something that they'll remember even beyond this protest and will push to get some sort of um you know like justice in some form to the people and right. presumably and even... there are long connections sorry between this majoritarian ethnocentric rule and the economic crisis itself and that there are continuities and not just two completely distinct things and i i noted um manoli that watchdog's podcast which you called the dog house which we'll also link uh, on our social media has an episode on how this economic crisis came to be and i wondered if you could just summarize um for our audience and encourage them to listen to your podcast how exactly things got to this point Yeah I mean I would strongly encourage people to listen to the podcast or even just read the article on our website but to summarize we are here due to two main reasons and none of this just happened in the last 5 years these things have been happening since independence in like slowly but everything's coming to a head now one is that Sri Lanka is a small country with 22 million population so we can't expand like our retail or construction is not something we can expand that's one two is that we did not diversify our export portfolio we still relied on um you know like the tea araba um like garment factory products and things like that and when you had other countries such as like kenya and bangladesh who can provide these things for far less less um cost came to the field came to the market then we lost a lot of portion of the market and we didn't think of diversifying so while this happens on one hand the successive governments but especially in the last 10 years so since the end i'm using air quotes i just realized that it's an audio so i'm using air quotes um and of the war um the civil war have been there've been a lot of infrastructure projects quote unquote development projects and these are things that we borrowed money to do but these are about like roads and airports and skyscrapers and supposedly communication towers that i'm not really sure what it actually does um things like that so on one hand we were earning less but our income was reducing but our expenditure was increasing 
So, you know, just checks and balances in that sense. And then with the, um, like this government coming into power about three years ago, they also provided massive tax relief. So we didn't even get the tax um, return enough for our treasury to, for economy to survive. So essentially at the end of the day, with COVID, it, things got worse quickly and it would have been inevitable, but probably perhaps not at this point. But with COVID, things started happening really fast and that's why we are where we are. Where, you know, like what the Sri Lankan government can does not have enough money to buy an apartment in the United States, let's say. Like as a government, we don't have enough money to buy an apartment in the United States. So that's where we are right now. And Minoli, what would you like to ask of our global audiences? How can they help, you know, get necessities to those communities that are most in need in Sri Lanka right now? What are the priorities for the country, not only immediately, but for the long term? So I think our main priority right now is medicine, largely, because ICUs have to close because there's no medicine. There's not from paracetamol to heart medication to mental health meds. To, we don't have anything. So that's the main thing. And we've, like through Elixir, which is like what we've developed for um, medical aid in the country, we have verified certain organizations that we know will actually provide medicine and what they say they'll provide to the people who I need to the right um, places. So I would say first priority is medicine. But even if you can't afford to donate, because lots, like, I mean, half the world is on metaphorical fire, right? So, you know, not everyone can donate, but at least educate yourself like ask these questions look out look for information because a lot is happening in Sri Lanka which is also I guess like symptomatic of larger global power struggles and you know crises so it's also important to know what's happening elsewhere and perhaps look for not the mainstream narrative but also for things that are not being said and is left unsaid but also if you choose to donate please donate only for verified organizations because there's a lot of forces happening and we wouldn't want anyone to um, fall prey to that either. Anoli thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That is all the time we have today. I urge our listeners to follow Swana Region Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we will post more information about how you can donate to help people in Sri Lanka. The Swana Collective would like to thank our guest, Minoli Wijetunga from Open Source Research Collective, Watchdog. You can find them at www.watchdog.team or on their podcast, The Dog House. You can download the app Watchdog Sri Lanka News on Android, and it will be coming soon to Apple. And please visit Elixir, the tool built by Watchdog to help the medical crisis in Sri Lanka. The music you heard on our show today was Nam Parpome, the Tamil rendition of Faiz Ahmed Faiz's Hamde Kenge, which translates to We Will See, sung by Anjana and translated by Ponni and Mangai, and has been played at the people-led protests currently taking place in Sri Lanka. Thank you as always to Ankina Antharam for post-production and the KPFK board ops. I urge all our listeners to tune in and donate to the essential work of KPFK, I am Sarai Zarouk of the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or SWANA Collective, and on behalf of my co-host, David Lloyd, and all of our collective members, I thank you for tuning in. (laughs) 